Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. We are continuing through the book of John, chapter by chapter. Can't cover every story, but we're going to cover as many as we can. And so this Sunday, we're going to be diving into John chapter 4. Not last weekend, since it was conference, but the weekend before, we looked at John chapter 3. We studied the story of Nicodemus. And what I love about chapter 3 to chapter 4 is that it takes a little bit of a turn and there's a unique narrative here. Chapter 3, we're talking about Nicodemus. He was a a well-learned, well-known Pharisee. So we have a name. He met him at night. He was a Pharisee, had had kind of a moral heritage, knew a lot of scripture. But then you turn the page and you're in chapter 4 and we're going to be talking about kind of the exact opposite. Somebody Jesus, Jesus has a conversation with here is a woman. And he has this conversation in the middle of the day. He crosses uh, geographical and ethnic barriers to have this conversation, which we'll talk about. Uh, And this is somebody that Jesus kind of calls out as having an immoral background. So we hear two very contrasting individuals, but yet Jesus says the same message. He's saying, I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. We're going to be talking about the woman at the well. The woman at the well. And the title for today's message is Invest in a Few and Invite Everyone. And I believe that we see this clearly through the example of Jesus investing in a few people. But then we also see the example of this woman at the well after her life is completely transformed after one encounter with Jesus that she becomes an incredible evangelist. And she goes out and she brings others to Jesus. So I think there's a lot of principles that we're going to learn here. It's going to be a highly practical message. So let's go ahead and dive into John chapter 4. Let's read this together. We're going to read a lot of scripture here. 26 verses. Let's go. John 4, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through, had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into a town, into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I'll unpack that here in just a second. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You are greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. 
In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Come on. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go, call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Well, I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. <clears throat> Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. It's an incredible story. This is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone recorded in Scripture. He has with this woman here at the well. Je Jesus, whenever he was going up uh, to Galilee, there were three routes that he could have taken. And most would have not taken the shortest distance through Samaria, uh, because the Jews honestly despised the Samaritans. They were what was called a mixed race. Uh, when the Assyrians had taken over the northern kingdom, this caused Jews and Gentiles to get together. I lost a lot of you right here. And create what, what is called a mixed race of people, which now the Jews said they are an unclean people. And they not only didn't like them, they despised them. The, the Samaritans were a despised people. And, and I love that Jesus could have gone the traditional route of the Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria to have a conversation with a woman in a place that others thought maybe he shouldn't be there to have this conversation, to teach her, which rabbis don't teach women, and to cross all really prejudiced barriers in having this conversation. Before we even dive in any further, I just want to say this is who Jesus is. If you want to know who Jesus is, Jesus is a person that regardless of your background, your history, your ethnicity, uh, whoever, wherever you are, Jesus loves you. And he meets you right where you are. And so here we see this Samaritan woman have this conversation with Jesus and her life is radically transformed. This one encounter with God and all of a sudden she becomes a powerful evangelist for Christ. Also, I want to note a little bit of background about um, Jesus' movement as he is beginning his ministry. First, we see that he is in Jerusalem. This is in John chapter 2, verse 23. Next, we see him go to Judea in uh, chapter 3, 22, and then Samaria right here in John chapter 4, verse 3. Does that sound familiar? And you will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love this. Is, this was the charge to the believers in Acts 1.8. <clears throat> and Jesus is modeling this for us right here. Start here expand out and go wherever I tell you to go with the gospel. Jesus is our model for that. This isn't only a charge for us, but as we were to follow his commands to us, we also are to follow his example to us. All right, so here we see Jesus investing in a few people with his life, and then we see the woman at the well bringing others in on the journey. Jesus did not invest at the same level with everyone. I want to call this out. Jesus had a select few of pe- few people that he fully and wholeheartedly invested his life in. It is, I would say, fairly impossible for us to put a yes on the table to 100% invest our life in every single person that we encounter every day. Now, you can make, let's just call them minor investments where you, there's this moment where you pour into somebody, but as far as like giving your life to people, you're going to have to narrow that focus down if you want that impact to be the greatest. Jesus chose 12. But even beyond the 12 that he chose that he committed his life to uh, for three years, he had three that he went even deeper with, Peter, James, and John. We see this, Mark 5, 37. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and we see this at the transfiguration as well, Luke 9. Uh, Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took him, Peter, John, and James, and they went up to pray. And even in the garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, he said, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. So he had people that he would spend time and invest in, but then he had a few people, the 12 that he fully invested his life in. And then he had three that he said, these are going to be my closest. These are going to be my closest people. So on a practical level, which we're going to keep diving into, have you made a conscious decision that these are going to be the people that I am going to invest my life in? If you can't invest your life in everyone, have you made a decision that there's a few people that God has placed in my life that I am going to choose to invest my life into these people for the greatest possible impact for the kingdom of God? Very practical. Start at home. Who is in your home? Those are your people you're going to invest your life in. Next, who are those people in your sphere of influence that God has given you favor and peace with that you're saying, for whatever reason, I feel called to these people And I feel like these people are ready to learn, ready to grow. That is your next sphere of influence. And then maybe there's just one or two out there that you haven't even thought about. But my encouragement is pray, God, who would you have me invest my life in? We see even in this moment, God, Jesus takes time to invest in the woman at the well. Next, we see the woman at the well. Someone who made an incredible impact with a simple invitation. We're going to unpack this story a little more, but this is a woman who had an encounter with Jesus and then immediately after that encounter leaves her water jar and says, I got to go tell somebody what just happened. This, this could be the Messiah. Runs into town and says, come and see this man. This man might change your life. We know that after this invitation that she gave, We know that many from that town did, in fact, come to know Jesus and follow him. Scripture says many. Not only that, but 
relationally, Jesus stayed there several days investing his life into this people. This woman knew. I know what he did for me. And if I can get these people to him, I believe that he can do that for them as well. And he did. I always say this about an invitation. You never know how one invitation can change someone's life forever. One invite to say, will you come with me to meet this person? Will you come and see? One personal invitation to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. Let me, you want to come to crew with me? There's this group of us that sit around and we study the Bible, talk about life. You never know how that one invitation might change someone's life forever. All right, invest in a few. Let's look at Jesus' examples. Let's make it practical. I'm going to give you three ways Jesus invests in a few. A few characteristics for us. Number one, be positive. Be positive. So let's look at Jesus' example here. Jesus is having a conversation with a woman who's had five husbands, and the, and the man that she's with right now is not her husband. But what does Jesus not do that anyone in his position probably would have done? Shame her and condemn her. But in this moment, Jesus doesn't do that. Sure, he brings out some, some clarity through questions and conversations for her to where she comes about to her own revelation of, yeah, this is the reality of my life. It's not great. But he doesn't condemn her for it or shame her for it. But he points to a better future for her life. Jesus loves her in this way that he sees her right where she's at and he calls out a better future for her living with a living water inside. I've said this before, but I'll say it again and again and again. If you want to make the least possible impact in your life, yes, I don't want to influence anybody. If you want to make the least possible impact, be negative, be isolated, and be busy. How many of you uh, enjoy being around just really negative and critical people? No. It's not a pleasure. It's not a joy. Uh, It's kind of a buzzkill, honestly. Uh, But as followers of Jesus, we have the greatest story ever told. As followers of Jesus, we have what's called the good news of the gospel, and we carry it with us everywhere we go. And it is a positive force, Philippians 4.4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, Don't hear what I'm not saying. Being positive does not mean that you don't have hard conversations. What is Jesus having here? A difficult conversation. He's calling out the reality of this person's life, but but being positive is not neglecting the conversation that needs to happen, but it's pointing towards a better future. Being positive is also more than compliments. Because how many of you know you can get compliments and still not feel great? It still doesn't address the real issue of what's going on in your life. But being positive is seeing what's going on in the inside and speaking to the potential. There is plenty of negativity in the world. I've heard it said that the fastest way to gain popularity is fear and negativity, and I think it's true. And so therefore, it's easy for us to want to get drawn into that kind of a lifestyle. 
But we are a church, we're a people of hope, faith, hope, and love. And I believe that we, through positivity in the right way, can make a really positive impact. Romans 5.3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop our endurance. Philippians 1.6, I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We can be a people that speak positive things over people's lives because we know the reality that when Jesus is in the story, the story is never over. We carry that with us and we get to speak that into people's lives. Number two, be present. If you look into the story of uh, how Jesus comes into this conversation with the woman at the well, it's very interesting. You know, Jesus, fully God, also fully man. I love that in this passage, it actually says he was tired. He was worn out. But I love that even though Jesus was tired and worn out, how many of you have ever had an excuse not to tell somebody about Jesus because it was a full day. Anybody ever offered that excuse? Honestly, it's kind of been a full day and I'm tired. And if I start a conversation with Jesus, maybe we, ha we start talking for a longer, maybe we really dive into hard conversations. I've already had a hard day. Therefore, I'm not gonna tell this person about Jesus or strike up a spiritual conversation. You're like, no, pastor, I'm more spiritual than that. I would never do that. You're a liar. <clears throat> You would do that. I've done that. We make excuses for everything. Well, dinner isn't about, well, the kid's bedtime, so I'm not going to talk to this, you know, waitress because of bedtime and all that. We make excuses for everything. But I love that Jesus is not making excuses here, and he's not distracted. He's not looking over this woman's shoulder saying, surely there's got to be somebody better I can talk to than this woman who has had five husbands and the woman who's, uh, surely there's someone here. Jesus does not look over her shoulder. He's not distracted. Where are the disciples? They said they were going to get food. Where are they at? Our dis disciple DoorDash is running 30 minutes late. I would love to talk to you, but I'm hungry, and this is not the best time. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stays incredibly present with this woman, and I mean so much so that shortly into their conversation, you can see a shift in the way that she's even having the conversation when she says, our father, Jacob, she's, she's like, this person who is in, has incredible shame and guilt is opening up her upself now to a Jewish rabbi. I don't know if this is like connecting yet, but this is a radical thing that's happened here. And she's saying, our father, that there's already this openness and vulnerability happening in this story because Jesus is very present in this moment. And he's not only present in how he's having the conversation, but he's, he's present in the questions that he's asking and allowing for conversation and allowing for discovery. Yes, you're correct in what you say. I also love how present he is in her moment of great despair. You know, the, I love the intentionality and the Bible gives us so many little nuances and details into the story. I love that it says around noon. And there's, there's not too, I, I try not to overlook any of those little details of the stories, like a noon. Like they could have just said during the day. Typically, around this time, women would have gone to gather water at the well, either in the morning or in the evening, whenever it was not so hot. Well, here we have her going out 
in the hottest part of the day at noon. And it's thought that it's possible that she was going there because this woman was feeling incredible shame and didn't want to be seen in large crowds of people surrounded by lots of people. But it just so happens that Jesus and his divine sovereignty shows up at noon at this well while his disciples are gone so that he can have this very intentional and very present conversation with this woman. What that says to me is that Jesus saw her grief, he saw her pain, he saw her shame, and he didn't say, you know, this is too much. He said, no, this is the perfect time to have this conversation because I'm going to address the real issue of what's going on here. Back to her excuses. How quickly and how easy is it for us to be present, to lean in, to have conversations with people we agree with, with people that look like us, that sound like us, that walk where we walk and go where we go. But how much harder is it to have a conversation with somebody who's really in a difficult spot? It takes an incredible amount of sacrifice to serve those people and asking good questions to really lean in. And I want us to be a people that is really present, not just when people are going through a good time, but when people are down and out, when people are full of shame, to be people that lean in and just say, let's talk about the real issue. Let's have a real conversation. I'm here. Let's go. Number three, be proactive. Be proactive. Jesus took this opportunity to not just talk about her situation, but to talk about her need, her deepest need. And he was proactive in doing so. He took it from, he took a well and this person's desire for water, and he made the connection to her deepest need of a savior. He was proactive, man. How easy is it for us to say, oh, man, you thirsty? Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I'm from, you know, you know, just, uh, just south of here. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Bethlehem, born there. So. We have a tendency to honestly stay in the shallow instead of being proactive to go to the gospel in our conversations. And I am 100% guilty of this. But what if instead we were intentional and proactive to as quickly as we can take somebody's maybe physical need or emotional need or whatever it is they're going through in that moment and say, man, let me tell you about how God helped me during that time. Let me tell you what the Bible maybe has to say. Maybe there's a, a scripture that you can share with that person. Or at the very least, I love this, but if you're ever in those moments, first and foremost, you share your story, you share what God is teaching you. But even then, if you're like, man, I just, you know, I'm nervous about that, take a baby step and say, you know what? I have somebody you need to talk to. I'm gonna take you to this person. I'm gonna bring you to my crew because they've really helped me, or I'm gonna bring you to church. I believe that the message, the messages we're working through is gonna speak to what you're going through right now. Just whatever, take that next step to be proactive to help them take their next step on their faith journey, pointing them to Jesus. All right, number two, invite everyone. This is the woman at the well. This is her response to what this encounter that she had with Jesus. The first is be real. This is a woman 
fresh out of five marriages with a man that had an encounter with Jesus that left immediately to go tell other people, come and see, this might be the Messiah. If you have recently come to faith and you're saying, I got to clean my life up before I can point others to Jesus. Let the woman at the well be an encouragement to you. Just as you are, you can go tell your friends, but I haven't gotten my life together yet. You think she had gotten her life together? She just had this encounter. And immediately she goes and she says, you got to come see. You got, this, he's told me everything that I've ever done. You got to see this man. He could just might be the Messiah. She was who she is, and she went out just as she was, and she brought others to Christ. I've heard it said that authenticity is the apologetic of our day. If you want to make an impact by inviting people to a personal relationship with Jesus, don't try to be the super Christian. Be you. Just as you are, just as God made you, in your uniqueness, in your quirkiness, because we got some quirky fam in the house, and I love it. I think the quirkier, the better. It's awesome. It works. It works. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't looking at you. I don't think. <laughs> Pastor Craig Rochelle says this. Be yourself. People would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who is always right. But I don't have all the right answers. If I go try to tell, you know, what Christ has done for me and I go try to share the good news of the gospel, what if they ask me questions that I don't know? Then you say, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a great first step. You know, that's a great question. I was honestly early on whenever I was uh, making disciples and wanting to raise up pastors and leaders, I was at a Bible college. I had been discipled and I felt like I had given like a decade of my life to studying scripture. I started meeting with uh, some people who was trying to raise up to be pastors and, and church leaders. And, and very quickly I realized there is still so much I don't know. The more you discover about scripture, the more you will, or the older you get, whichever comes through, the more you will discover you don't know as much as you think you know. Don't let what you don't know be a hindrance to you going out and telling people about Jesus. One thing that you should know is what Christ has done for you. If you know that, that is a great first step. We shall overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. If you have come to Christ and you have a testimony, you have, and you have, are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you have everything that you need to go out and share the good news of the gospel. And this is what she did. She just went out. She was real. She was who she was. And she shared with what had happened. Next is be relational. This idea of relational is this idea of relate to. And she says, let me tell you what he has done for me. I think that's a great first step. Whenever you're sharing the gospel with somebody, uh, Pastor Shadonke says the gospel flies best on the wings of relationships. And I believe that's so true. Build intentional relationships with people. And it doesn't have to be the long game. It can happen in a moment. Tell me about yourself. That's great. Man, I didn't know that you were going through that. And I went through something very similar. And honestly, I wouldn't have made it through without the help of Jesus. Let me tell you about what he did for me. Let it be a conversation where you make connections. We call it the connect for. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your story? And how can I pray for you? Connect for. If you want to have a genuine, authentic connection with somebody, try to make it through all four. Get to the how can I pray for you. 
All right, number uh, three is be relentless. When she had this encounter with Jesus, I love how abruptly she got up and left. I love the detail in that she left her water jar. I can imagine in this moment, I'm just trying to visualize, trying to visualize this interaction that she's having with Jesus. He's telling her all this, and she's just like, this is so good. This is so good. And she leaves the very reason of why she came. Her desire shifted. Her need shifted. And now, in a moment, an encounter with Jesus, it went from, I was thirsty, to now I'm satisfied, and other people have got to feel this too. I'm fully, I'm fully filled. Why is it? I just think it's so ironic. Why is it that people who have a fresh encounter with Jesus, when he sees them and meets them right where they are and, and, and fills every one of their deepest longings, are so on fire to go tell others about him and to bring others to him, but we in the house who have been Christians for a very long time, who should absolutely be the most on fire, are the most apathetic. Who are the, who sh we've known his love. He's been with us countless times. He's, he's rescued us a thousand times. And yet we're so casual whenever we go to tell others about Jesus. Like, yeah, like I've kind of walked with him for a long time. And if you want, you can, but it's really not a big deal if you don't. You know. But with those that, are, that it's fresh, it's like, man, this is everything. The thing that I thought that I needed wasn't what I needed. He's what I need most, and he's the only thing that can satisfy. It's called losing your first love. And it's honestly a problem in the church, is that everything else becomes a first, second, and third love, and then somewhere the love for Jesus is there, it's stable, he's faithful, he's good, and we know that. But he's not our first love. He's not our first thought whenever we're having conversations with people. He's not our like heartbeat whenever it comes to us like putting ourselves out there, risking it all for the sake of bringing others to come to know him. We've lost our first love. As I was reading this passage, so much of me wanted to just be just like this woman at the well, so vulnerable in front of Jesus and just so excited for what he can do, living water. Imagine this situation, this person who for her whole life has been shamed, rejected by men, criticized and despised by the religious leaders, is now encountering the Messiah who is saying like, I'll fill you to full. You'll be fully satisfied in me. Mine's the living water that not only satisfies for today, but it's the gift that satisfies into all eternity. She's like, oh God, give me this gift. Give me this gift. I want to be like the woman at the well. So desperate for this. So desperate for Jesus. So needy for him. God, satisfy me. God, I'm allowing other things to satisfy me. Or I'm allowing fear of others and shame and what people think to affect how I really love you well and how I share you with others. I want to be like the woman at the well. Very, very, very practical. Who are you investing in? Are you willing, as Jesus did, 
to go out of your way. Because how many know investing in people is not convenient? You have to cut something to do that. To go out of your way to wake up early, to stay up late, to give of yourself to pour your life into maybe three people. 12 would be awesome. Jesus did 12, maybe 12. But a few people, who are you investing your life into? Just take just a moment, just right now. You can just think, you can maybe even just, I'm going to give you like 15 to 20 seconds. Just pray into that. Maybe jot down some names. If the Lord only gives you one or two, jot down those names. But who are you taking time to intentionally and personally invest in? Think about maybe some barriers as to maybe why you haven't invested into some people. Saying, God, are you, are you calling me to cross all barriers and pour my life into this person? I w you know, I thought about this person, but then they're really young and, you know, I'm really old. Maybe, no, 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 no. Cross that. You know, we really don't have a lot in common, but I do feel like God is calling me. Cross that. Who is God calling you to invest in? Every season I revisit my list. I have a list of, uh, in the notes of my phone of uh, dates and names of people that I feel called to invest in. And every season, three times a year, I'll revisit those, those notes and I'll say, okay, God, is this, still, is this still the three? Is this still the 12? So why not just create a note in your phone and just keep revisiting it and see what God does through that intentional investment. Next, who is God calling you to invite? Who is God calling you to invite? Invite into a personal relationship with Jesus. I believe that for many of you, there's a person. There's a name. Whenever I said that, there's a name that popped up. Like, man, it's my sister. Man, honestly, it's my dad. But how do you, man, how do you cross that, you know? How do you have a converse, spiritual conversation with your dad? Who's your grandparent? Maybe it was your roommate. Maybe it's a friend. But who is God calling you to have a conversation with to say, just be honest, I'm just going to be real. I've been nervous to have this conversation with you because I didn't want it to affect our relationship, but I'm beyond all that now, and I want to ask you, can I tell you about Jesus and what he's done for me? So take about 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Jot down a couple names about who you feel God is calling you to invite to Jesus. In the same way that Jesus went out of his way to meet, meet the woman at the well, Pour his life into her in the same way that the woman at the well left the water jar, went and ran into town and invited people in. Come and see. Come and see. Who is God calling you to invite? Come and see. Come and see. Jot their name down. Pray into it.
If you would, you can stand to your feet. Our altar team is going to be down uh, here in the front. Um, if there was anything that you felt, man, God was really speaking to me and through his word and feeling convicted and feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, feeling that he's calling me to be more bold, feeling like he's calling me to be in intentional relationships or to, to be real or relentless or to be positive. I've been negative lately. If there was anything that you feel like God wanted you to address, why not come down and share that with our prayer team? Why not come fall down on the altar on your knees before God and pray? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into a time of response. Why don't you take this time of response just to pray? Sing if you feel led, sing if you feel called, but why don't you take the time just to pray to God? Say, God, what do you have for me? Whatever you tell me to do, the answer is yes. Jesus, we thank you for the story of the woman at the well. God, I, I love how <laughs> you go against uh, what everyone else uh, would have said at that time would have been the right thing to do. <laughs> But you saw a bigger story. You saw her story. And you met her at a time where she needed you the most. Jesus, God, I just, I pray that we could be the answer to somebody's prayer. There is some parent praying for their child at this campus. We get to be the answer to that prayer. There is some neighbor praying for their neighbors. The uh, neighborhood that we live in, Father, we get to be the answer to that prayer. God, I pray for a supernatural boldness. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of Christ unto salvation to all who believe. Jesus, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We pray for a supernatural filling of your Holy Spirit for your people in the house. Life is too short. <laughs> for us to play, play around, stick to tradition. Life is too short for us just to be apathetic towards reaching those that are far from you. Father, I pray that we lean in. Make us bold, Jesus. Bring us to the reality of these people are hopeless, maybe living in fear and living in shame. But Father, we bring love, we bring faith, and we bring hope in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. We pray in faith, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.